Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly comic book podcast where we talk about a graphic novel or a collection of comic books. I am your co-host, Dallas. I'm Alexis. And I'm Anne. And this week, we are coming at you with our finale of Jeff Smith's Bone. That is right. If you're just tuning in now, we have done two previous episodes on Bone. They're great. They're fun. You'll cry. You'll laugh. You'll think, this is a lot of talking about Bone. And you're about to sign up for, uh, however much that little bar at the bottom of your phone says, more (laughs) of Bone. It is, it, it's been bonalicious. It, am I allowed to say that? Can we, wait, are we going to get pulled? We're going to get pulled. We, I'm sorry. I, are, I have given us the explicit rating on all the podcast things because mm-hmm. we probably could, we're like right on the edge. We could probably strive for the clean, but I just, sometimes we say swears and I would rather not police it. <laughs> We, we probably should police it, but I, I like it. I like the little... Let, go for it. We're going to Bone Town. Let's this do it. This Bone episode is explicit, damn it. <laughs> this is a mature comic for mature readers only. Hardcore. Yeah, this is... I was just listening... I was trying to find other podcasts and YouTube videos about Bone, try and like up my pedigree, figure out what I can talk about. And there's actually quite the dearth, so... Uh, You know, we're some real trailblazers here covering one of the best-selling comic books of all time on a podcast. Um, But on Ed Piscor, who did the X-Men Grand Design on his podcast, I recently heard he might be a douche. So that was too bad. I don't... Damn. It's not not even like... (laughs) It's not even like cancelable stuff. Just like a douche. But... It kind of came through in the podcast, frankly, but like not enough so that I was like, I was kind of like, whatever. Ah, it's another man with a podcast, I hear. <laughs> you know, you can't trust those men with podcasts. You just can't do it. Nah, you gotta have two women-led podcasts. <laughs> Thank What's goodness we are, we are a podcast for the girls, gays, and theys. <laughs> yes. Does that mean you're the day? You're, you're the days? Yes. We're experimenting. Um, <laughs> we're fiddling around. Um, but an interesting point that Ed Piscor did bring up on that podcast mm-hmm. was the comic book climate that Bone was published into. In 1991, when Bone Issue 1 came out, we were right at the cusp of Image Comics boom of triple X stream all the girls in thongs everybody's got blades and armor and giant guns we were about to go into the most testosterone filled era of comics of all time and lo and behold this super out of left field like this might mean more to to Anne and some of our listeners that are more uh, into comics but when you compare like the cross hatching of Jim Lee to the like clean line of Jeff Smith and realize they're a product of the same time. Like bone was such a dark horse out of left field out of like, I'm not going to do what you people are interested in kind of book that took the world by storm. And I'm very excited to talk about the conclusion with it, with you two today. Oh, that's, 
that's such a special point of view. Thanks for bringing that. Cause I, I didn't even think, when I think about this book, I think like early 2000s. I think that's just because like, that's when I was growing up. That's when I knew the book existed. That's when everyone was reading it. So I just kind of assumed it was new-ish. I didn't know it was all the way from like 91. That's crazy. Did you know the first drawing of Bone, which is in the back of the big collection me and Alexis have, mm -hmm. was from 1965. Uh, this was a character that Jeff Smith would draw when he was a kid. Oh, my funny. gosh. Does um, he have, like, little hair? I think it's a little Santa hat. Yes, it is a little Santa hat. <laughs> That's mega cute. Um, something else kind of interesting. So the history of Bone. Bone was created by Jeff Smith as a child. Uh, he then was... he. All three of the Bones and Thorn came into existence in college for Jeff Smith as the comic book Thorn was written. And I, I didn't read that for the show, but there, there was like a prototype of bone that Jeff Smith worked on for a little while Ooh. before deciding that, and I don't know if that was ever published or if that was just like a project he worked on, but he then moved on to 10 years in animation uh, kind of getting his feet under him, becoming pretty successful before returning and saying like, I would like to make my comic. I've had these characters with me my whole life and I think there's something to them. And I think that you can see that cartoon and animation influence on Bone much more than you can the contemporary comics of the time. I agree. I feel like especially... Now, if like a cartoon TV show is becoming more of a reality, like this, this art, this cartoon style definitely will translate really, really well onto the screen, I feel like. I'm really interested to see what the animation style is going to look like when we do end up getting this. Because I'm just, part of me wants to see it in like that Disney Renaissance style. Like I was... We were in that final battle and I actually have parts from like Fantasia going through my head with like the epic musical score in the background. It's just, this feels like something that would be so beautiful in 2D animation, but I have a feeling we're not going to get that. I, yeah, I also would like 2D animation. Um, looking at Netflix's Usagi Yojimbo cartoon that just dropped. Um, I'm a huge fan of Usagi Yojimbo, but I mm -hmm. really did not care for the like 3d animated style of the show. And so I would be a little sad if we didn't get 2d animation for bone, but I mean also with into the spider verse, 2d animation is definitely having a bit of a Renaissance itself with mm -hmm. things like arcane or even the new puss in boots movie that's coming out. Yeah. I'm definitely glad we're getting away from that similar style. I like that animation is finally starting to embrace the fact that, you know, just like, just like comics, you can do so many different variations and styles in the same medium and make them look so different. And that affects the tone, that affects the the mood. And I just, I really appreciate that. So I'm really excited to see what it can bring. I hope it's something special. Sorry, I realized I was muted. <laughs> That's all right. But... What did you guys think of the last third of this saga? This is a saga. 
Um, my hot take is I think this last third could have gone on for another book. Mm-hmm. I... I was re- I was I got to the end of volume eight since I'm reading in the single the single volumes um and the color version I got to the end of volume eight and I'm like I have exactly one book left it is um about two hundred pages and I'm like I have no godly idea how they're gonna wrap all this up <laughs> yeah <laughs> and we just get to the part which is like. And then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and bang, bang, bang. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can we slow down for a second? We have, um, oh, by the way, spoilers, everyone, if you haven't read Bone, if you haven't read this 30-year-old book, um, spoilers. I'm like, we just, Granny just got slashed, and two seconds later, Lucius is dead, and we just, just all of a sudden, oh, there's, no. you know, the, the queen dragon's coming to the locust, and, um, like, they touch the thing, and everyone went zap, and, but the dragon's still coming, and now there's dragons underground, and I'm like... Please, please calm down just a little bit. Please, I'm Fetal begging. position rocking. Like, what's going on? <laughs> it actually, not to go back to a place of Tolkien, but it felt very The Hobbit to me, mm-hmm. where you get told, you get led up to this huge battle, huge battle, huge battle. And then the story's like, oh, we'd so much rather have Christmas. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, I'll give you two yes. pages of fight so that we can get to the bones having Christmas at grandma's cabin. And the funny snow happening again. <laughs> when the funny snow hit again, I was like, I that... laughed out loud. <laughs> I was like, he gets it. He gets why it's great. <laughs> Especially because they're like, okay, let's go home. Instant 12 feet of snow. <laughs> and Phony's just looking for it. He's looking the whole time. He's like, I'm waiting for one snowflake. Cause he mm-hmm. knows. I I definitely see your critique, and I don't think it bothered me as much as you do, as it did you, but I think the strength and timelessness of Bone is very much invested in its characters and dialogue. Like, people like Bone because of the characters, mm-hmm. and so this third act being very plot-heavy, while again, I enjoyed it, I can see why some of the boneness of it was missing and there was just sort of a fantasy story left see that makes it it makes a lot of sense to me when you put it that way because you think i remember the last part where they're like in this battle and they're sieging and then all of a sudden we have this cutaway story where phony's like i'm gonna go find some treasure i'm gonna go i'm gonna go dig up some treasure out of the well because that's obviously where they're hiding it and i'm like the beasts at the gate armies at the gate where are you going and we follow him for like 15 pages as he takes this treasure out of the well and um it's it keeps the focus right where it should be on these people who have no business being where they are and yet somehow manage to not only survive but save the day in several aspects i liked the roles that all three of them played in this finale um alexis what did you think of the use of thorn and granny ben as the big heroes because like i kept going back to lord of the rings you know mm-hmm. it's like you got the hobbits but then like gandalf and aragorn like the other two main characters everybody's faves mm-hmm. that was grandma ben and thorn <laughs> literally you know and so that's a big subversion from re- regular fantasy stories at least to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't think? know i I feel like they kind of put it in a way, and I don't know if this is more because 
it's kind of targeted towards younger age categories. But um, the way I viewed it is like it kind of switched the story halfway through. Like I felt like the bones were used to build up this big, great story. And then once we get the the bomb drop of phony actually meaning literally nothing to the plot, I, I think that's where it shifted and was like, okay, now it's time to put our lens in closer on our main, like our other two characters that we really don't know that much about, which I feel like was really fun. Like I really liked how throughout the whole story we've had like bits and pieces of like the whole story. And then we honestly didn't get the whole big lump of what happened um, to Thorne when she was young until like the very end. Like we don't see the very end of that until I think the last book. So I don't know. I just, it's just really fun. I don't know. I was going somewhere with that and it left my head. (laughs) Well, I, I think it's significant. Something really interesting that my wife brought up to my attention once was that she knew a lot of little girls growing up whose favorite book starred a boy or a boy and a girl, but she didn't know any boys whose favorite book starred a girl. Mm-hmm. And like, it really made it apparent to me that like the one fantasy series that people made fun of was the one that had the female lead in twilight. But like <laughs> everybody liked Percy Jackson, everybody liked Harry Potter, everybody liked X, Y, and Z, you know? And it it was the default for so long to have the male protagonist. And like there could be a spunky female sidekick. And so it's it's really refreshing that bone is almost the opposite, where like the spunky sidekicks are the bones. <laughs> I just had the funniest image of Edward Cullen as considered the spunky sidekick, and I could not help it. <laughs> Oh, he is definitely not a spunky. Oh, he is angry all the time. But continue. Oh, my gosh. Um, Actually, to go off that, that's something I think about a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Because being, ra- being raised as a guy, I definitely felt like there was a pressure almost to avoid stories with female leads. Like, it was okay for me to like, like Harry Potter and for me to like Percy Jackson. But if I want to, like, watch for, like, example like the little mermaid or something from like disney like that that was not acceptable i remember even like high school when i was started reading comics for the first time i would carry them around but whenever i'd bring a captain marvel book i'd always kind of have that urge to just kind of like hide it like i keep it like between my books going from classes i'm like i don't want people to know i'm reading captain marvel and i'm not really sure why and i feel like a lot of that's still around today i feel like that's a Something, especially like big two comics, they still have problems selling female-led books to male readers. And I like that Bone is a stealthy way to get male readers to pick up a story with a a really strong female protagonist. Because they call it Bone, they put Bone on the cover, but she is, like you said, very much the Aragorn of the story. She carries the plot, she carries the weight, she carries the, the entire hero's journey on her shoulders, and yet... He's the one who's who's on the title, and he's the reason people picked up the book. I just thought that was interesting. I thought that was a smart way to go about that. I can't imagine why they have such a hard time selling girl, books about girls to boys. 
have forbid just put her in a fun outfit. That was the logic for the longest time. <laughs> but no, honestly, I do have to honor honorable mention for Thorne's like bushwhacking outfit. Like the her whole like into the woods moment with her loincloth sword. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Good for you. <laughs> I have to ask, what did y'all um think about Thorne's little almost like dual nature that she had here, especially at the beginning when she had like the locust inside of her and kind of effect- affecting her personality. Cause I just kept like side eyeing her for the first two volumes of this. Like, what are you doing? Are you, you or cause I couldn't tell the art does such a good job at keeping it so ambiguous and just little changes in the way she talks. It was so, so creepy from time to time. I thought that Jeff Smith was so good at the mislead. Like, I consistently, when he wanted you to not believe that Granny Ben was on the right side, I believed that she was not on the right side. When Thorne was supposed to be suspicious, she was suspicious. Like, I was being led by the nose by this book. <laughs> and I, I wish that I was smarter than the book. Sometimes I am smarter than books. I was not smarter than Bone. I was so consistently like, oh, no. Oh, wow. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Literally, like, whatever the book wanted me to be feeling, I was feeling. It's That's so true. Like, he, he did us so dirty with this damn book. I remember specifically there are two panels of, like, Thorn doing this, like, scary uplook. The evil eyes. The evil eyes. I don't know how scary they were in color, but in black and white, I my my consider my timbers shivered. Okay, oh my gosh. Um, so I do have a question for the color version, Anne. I I think this was the first time I was envious of color. Was reading this last third because a lot of the blacks dropped out because the scenes became more detailed. Mm-hmm. And so like that really cool use of shadow that's in the first third or, and it almost feels like it slowly bled out of the comic from like the beginning towards the end. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. at the end I found like, there were still some iconic panels, like when King doc just like skimble shaggles out of a cave <laughs> and you're like, Oh, you oh. evil fucko. Oh, <laughs> kill it. Kill it with fire. Burn it with gasoline and hellfire. Him stalking them the whole time, that was so chilling. That was spooky. I had heard that this book, well, it's an all-age comic, but I had heard like the end might be a little intense for some kids, and I felt it. There were a few times that I was like, okay, this is a little spoopy. I this would have scared it. timid little me. True. You were scared of the Grinch, so I'd believe it. But moving on, um, I had this thought while I was reading it that like, And it kind of made me look back and wonder because I found this as a child, but I feel like the beginning, it like kind of grew up with us, if that makes sense. So like when you start it, I mean, it is a huge collection of story. So I would believe that it would take me a while as a child, but I feel like it would take you a long time to like go through the story and you kind of grow up with it and you, it kind of helps, I don't know, like helps your little journey of growing up to be a big kid. It's kind of fun. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't think the, the the like growth of it I could definitely feel it and I remember earlier on hitting those specific moments where I'm like okay this is setting us up for the darker moments that are going to come later like I remember the scene in the woods for the first time 
and the um the scene with the lightning and they're just hiding behind the tree and the lightning flashes and you see all the beasts just moments like that where I'm like okay this book is gonna go somewhere at the end and it's getting it's getting its audience ready for that I like those moments where it's like kids if you're not ready if you can't make it past the scene don't keep going because you're not gonna make it to the end and there's still moments re- leading up to the very final volume where they're still having these growth the growth moments where they're like kind of pushing to see how far they can go. I remember the moment where Phony's in battle with um Grandma Ben and he's just like with his sword, he's like, Yeah, that was awesome. He looks at the sword and there's blood on it. He's like, Eh. And I'm yeah. like, I can count on my num- on my hand the number of times I've seen blood so far. And I'm pretty sure three out of five of them are in this final chapter. And one was when um Briar jumped forward and cut that one dude in half. Mm-hmm. That was intense and terrifying. Briar was spooky. She yeah. Was, her zombie face was scary. Okay. The character design in this book is through the roof. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, the bones are a really great illustration of Scott McCloud's idea of like the simpler a character, the easier it is to love them and like impress upon them. Um, that's totally true for the bones, but like everyone else has such a distinct visual identity that tells you so much about who they are. You know, like you look at grandma Ben and you're like, okay, that's our protector. That's our like rock of the story. You look at Lucius and you're like, he is going to like tower behind. He's going to be the wall of the group. But then like you look at Briar and you're like, that is an evil zombie woman. That is terrifying. <laughs> Even with young Grandma Rose, too. Like, you can tell who you're supposed to like. <laughs> like, Briar, Briar, Briar. She's just always spooky looking. <laughs> she always looks mean. I think, it. I think again, it comes back to the simple cartooning principles that Jeff Smith falls back on. Like you think about the cartoons you watched as a kid and you never had to guess who was the evil one and who was the good one because there were visual cues, you know, never once did you look at Scar and the Lion King and we're like, that's, that's the good guy. (laughs) It makes me think about one of my favorite videos of all time with um, Stanley and Skippy and Skippy's like showing Stan. I'm pretty sure, isn't it like I? I'm, I think it's Skippy and Todd McFarlane, and they're showing Stan how they draw Marvel characters in the '90s. And they're drawing this character who's like, pick some like random '90s name, and you're probably pretty close to like Overkill or something. And they're drawing him, and they're adding like all these little details, all these little chains, and these like straps all over him. And Stanley's just sitting there commenting the whole time. He's like, "Doesn't that take a while to get into? Is this a good guy or a bad guy?" And it just—I'm thinking about because you brought up the '90s earlier, and it shows that contrast where it's this book keeps it—it it does it follows the kiss rule. It keeps it simple, stupid, and it works so much more effectively than just about anything else in the '90s. You had plenty of quote-unquote cool character designs in the '90s. But how many of those really stuck around the same way? How many of those tell you the same message that these do? And I think that's that's pretty unique. Exactly. And how many of those are still being talked about in 2022? Exactly. Probably not a lot. Because <laughs> nothing good came out of the 90s. Bone <laughs> doesn't even have any clothes. And yet, <laughs> perfect. Love it. I also love when they're like taking their little bath in the river and Phony's like, oh, don't look at me. And Phone goes, 
you haven't had that vest your whole life. <laughs> He's like, you're not naked. What? <laughs> okay. In other news, Bartleby was in- reintroduced. <gasps> Sweet little man. I can, am I, I the only one that was so sad when they said they cut off his tail? Oh, no. I'm glad. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. <laughs> and he ran away before they could get his ears. Oh, that he yes. could talk this time. Yes, yeah. So he got so big. The moment we see him and he's just peeking his head over the other rat yeah, monsters and, it- phone and smiley has that look on his face. I'm like, oh my God, it's Bardo. He's like, we're fine. We're alive. <laughs> There was so many, so many great moments like that. I love every callback that the series makes. Nothing in the series feels unimportant or unused. I like the fact we even got resolutions with Quiche Beast and <laughs> the other one, Grumpy. Yeah, Quiche Beast and Grumpy. Oh, the when they, I was, I was reading through the whole thing. I'm like, I, I hope they show up again. I need them to show up again because, unironically, they might be my favorite characters. But <laughs> they did kind of go on a hiatus. They weren't in the first like two yeah. books. They just showed up at the very end, and I said, Oh, good, there you are. Everything was too dark for them. <laughs> true they they were like and eh, we get there when we get there they were probably lost yeah honestly the only reason they got through the guard was because they were lost they bumbled their way through that <laughs> gate they're they're just they're not good they're truly truly incompetent villains and i love them <laughs> so much for it those are the best kind of villains i i was really taken i think because this was a pretty straightforward like end of a fantasy thing I spent a lot more time noticing the cartooning and the craft. Like, I feel like the last two episodes, I've talked a lot about story, characterization, and that's all really still strong here. Like, I agree with Anne. Like, I would have loved another book. But, like, for me, this was a satisfying end. And I just, I feel very happy at the end of Bone. And so I just, I caught myself noticing a lot of the little things that Jeff Smith was doing. And I caught myself wanting to go and reference his big influences. And so a big influence that's pretty apparent once you notice it and that Jeff Smith wears on his sleeve is that more so than being influenced by like superhero comic books or just classic Western comic books, Bone was inspired by Sunday morning comic strips in the newspaper. And so, like, most of the jokes in Bone are four panels long. It's like, boom, 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 punchline. Boom, 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 punchline. And so, looking at the work of, say, a Charles Schultz or a Walt Kelly or... Oh, crap. I don't remember who wrote Calvin and Hobbes off the top of my head right now. And I was reading it today. (laughs) I was going to say, you posted about it on Twitter. Um, Bill um, Watterson? That sounds right. That sounds right. Um, you look at the way that they're able to just nail it home. That like they have these iconic characters with really exaggerated cartooning that can sell a joke. Um, I posted on Twitter today for anyone that doesn't follow me, feel free to go follow me. Um, a quote from Charles Schultz, the creator of Charlie Brown, talking about Bill Watterson's abilities in making Calvin and Hobbes. Where he said, if all you're doing is illustrating a joke, you're going to lose. You are not a compelling enough medium in the age of television and everything else to be an icon if all you're doing is 
cartooning underneath a funny punchline. Like you have to do something no one else can do. And I think Jeff Smith with his cartooning alongside the story makes something that nothing else will ever quite replicate. Like even if this animated show is perfect, I will still read this comic at the end of the day because the craft is so high and because he's making something for the page. Mm-hmm. And also, even if he is a cartoonist and he's keeping a lot of the designs really simple, there's a really big attention to detail that I think he provides that a lot of other comics don't, especially from like the, the big two. Like his action scene, there's one at the very end, like the very beginning of volume nine, where Granny is just kicking ass on top of the battlements. And she's going through, it's just um some like six panel spreads and each one sets up the next. Like the first one, she comes at these soldiers with a, um, with a long pike. And then you see another guy charging with a sword. And the next panel, she takes out the guy with the sword and he drops it. You see his helmet fly off in the panel right there. You see like the helmet falling. And then she uses that same helmet as the weapon in the panel after that. Every panel sets up the action and the enemy in the next panel. And I think that's, you get a lot of white noise action in mainstream comics, which is like, there are nameless bad guys that just swarm. You have no idea what's happening. You just know they're fighting the bad guys. And there's a lot of them. This one, it makes it very clear who's coming after her, how many there are and how she's going to beat them. And I think that's, it's such a simple scene in like concept, but I think in execution it was really nice to see. That was just something that popped out to me. You're muted. Uh, well, you missed that whole inspiring <laughs> thing that I said. I'm sure it was the um, best thing you've ever said. Probably. The only good thing. <laughs> but uh, a principle that I think Jeff Smith nails so perfectly is in comic books, you are able to set up and pay off and a person's brain fills in the middle. So like the flash like tenses his muscles and then he's where he needs to be. And your brain says he ran really fast to get there. But really special cartoonists realize the importance and power of that middle page, middle panel. So when Granny takes us like winds back, you also get to see the swing and then the hit instead of just the wind and the hit. And it creates this like almost like a sixteenth note in music that just like is like boom, oh ooh ooh, and you just. <laughs> You see it over and over and over again in these panels. And the only comic that I think is comparable in cartooning skill is Headlopper um, that does that same principle that says, like, set up, middle panel, payoff. And I made Anne get Headlopper while she was out here in New York because it rules. It rules, rules, rules for anyone that hasn't read it. But I think Jeff Smith... Just like he knows how to sell a punchline, he knows how to sell an action beat. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I was so into your story. I don't know. I love when you guys talk. You're my favorite. Um, who do you think got the best slash most upsetting ending? I want to know. Of all the characters. So most upsetting definitely goes to Lucius. Oh, poor Lucius. I felt so bad because he just kind of disappears for a lot. And like, especially that final book, he just, he vanishes. He spends so much time in like, 
on the other edge of the ghost circles, and then he's passed out. And then all of a sudden, he's back for the final moment just to hop in and get slashed. And it's it was heartbreaking. I wanted... He didn't even get a final word, I don't think, did he? No. Wait, so Anne, I have a question. Um, volume 8 was the first introduction we had to ghost circles as the black um, and white people. Uh, you oh. in color, you got some foreshadowing to ghost circles, right? We had ghost um, circles in volume 7. Volume 7 is actually called Ghost Circles. Oh, well then, that's that's what I meant then. That, like, the volume called Ghost Circles was the first I'd ever heard of it. Weren't there some references to Ghost Circles earlier for you in the color version? I... I feel like that came up last episode. I feel like there might have been. I'm blanking on it right now. Let me do a quick little search, and I will let you know in just a second. Okay. Um... I just, I think my most satisfying, happy moment um, is sort of the idea of the long goodbye. So something that J.R.R. Tolkien does that people like to make fun of, like to like laugh at, is the fact that the Return of the King, the final portion of The Lord of the Rings, has like seven endings. <laughs> like the battle ends, and then there's a coronation, and then there's a wedding. And then they travel and they say goodbye to half their friends. And then they say goodbye to the other half of their friends. And then they go home. But then there's a problem at home. And so then there's a resolution at home. And, like, he just, he loves these characters so much he can't say goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. Like, the Lord of the Rings ends and then there's a hundred pages. That's just (laughs) like, and these guys you loved, nothing really went that wrong. And they just kind of meandered home. And it was beautiful. And it, it plays back into the the full title of The Hobbit was The Hobbit, There and Back Again. And it was named that so that Tolkien's kids wouldn't get too scared at the scary parts because they knew there was a back again. Aww, it's like no matter, how, so no matter how scary it got, like Bilbo ended up at home again. Like there was a back again. And so Lord of the Rings is also a There and Back Again story. And I loved the last 50 pages of Bone was a back again. Like, I got to see my Bones say goodbye to all the people that they met and loved along the way as the cast slowly got smaller and smaller. And I just, I couldn't help but, like, feel emotional at the end, thinking as, like, our five main characters all danced together at Christmas time, and then the Bones all decided to stay together as the little family unit they were and go off into the sunset just as they had arrived. I I thought it was beautiful. I I have no notes about mm-hmm. about that decision. I thought it was so wise. I have, I love my little fantasy endings like that cuz I feel like that's the only only genre where that happens and I feel it, it's definitely cuz of Tolkien. I was thinking about the difference between that and like the way Return of the Jedi ends which is like it feels like Vader's end Vader dies, the Death Star's gone and then it's just we're going to have a party for two seconds. We're gonna take- nope, nope. Yep. <laughs> we're going to take exactly one group photo and then we're cutting transmission. We're done. Where do we go after this? Do you know in canon, Leia and Han got married at that celebration? I did not know that. Yep, that, that that's canon now. So that's that's something pretty special. Oh. But it's, I'm like, I'm, I was thinking during that, 
I'm like, I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have seen that happen. I would have liked to have seen a scene with Luke going back to like Tatooine or something and saying, I'm Luke Star Wars. That would have been really neat. Um, I want Lando to go get his Bespin Cloud City back. But at the same time, there's there's like a sweetness. It, it feels like ripping the bandaid off and you're just like, okay, story's over here. Nothing else. You love these characters, I know, but goodbye. This, I feel like, prolongs that pain and lets you kind of simmer in it. And there's there's a greedy part of me that almost wishes it didn't because I it hurts so much more. I the two moments that made me ugly cry at the end of this book were the line from Smiley Bone when he says, "If we're going to make music, we don't have to be celebrating the same thing. We can still celebrate together." And I. Like I that specific line, I would love to get like tattooed on on me because like I I've never seen something that encapsulates more how I want people to feel around me, what kind of person I want to be in the world. That like I think I'm someone that holds pretty strong me beliefs, but like I want to make music and celebrate with any everybody that will. You know, I want them to feel safe. I want I want to feel safe with them. And I just, I loved, I loved that panel. It made me, made me cry. I was like, smiley bone. I had a suspicion that you would do something here at the end that wrecked me. And then as someone who loves the spirit of Christmas, I mean, we did a whole month about it not too long ago and we raved about Klaus. I, I loved bone delivering the quiche to the two monsters, uh, to the two creatures at Christmas. And it's saying like, goodwill towards man you know i mm-hmm. i love that page mm-hmm. as well those two pages i'll be forever grateful that jeff smith decided to include those at the end of this fantasy epic because they meant a lot to me it was such a good scene such a such a good scene and i don't know it's it's a lot just it's such a simple ending thinking about it it's just them riding off into the desert they're not the heroes of the story. They Other people get to go live the exciting consequences of the story. You know, like, um, Thorne is queen now. Rose gets to go and be back where she belongs. And just everything's changed. You don't have to worry about the locust anymore. The dragons got pissed off, but they're over it now. <laughs> it's just, they're just gonna go through the desert again. And it's something... It's. It reminds me of those moments where you have like these really cool, exciting things that happen in your life, but eventually that ends, and you have to move on to the next thing. Even though you might want that happy moment, that exciting moment to last forever, you have to start moving towards where you're going next. And that's part of the realism in the story that hits a little too close to home. So that was just a thought I literally just had. So thanks for talking me into emotional sadness dallas thank you he's Um, very good at that something that is was interesting to me apparently before the publication of issue one so like issue one was drawn and as a part of that effort jeff smith drew that last page so the last page of this series was drawn at the same time as the first issue as a reminder of where it ends because Jeff Smith said, I have a beginning, middle, and end. Like, this is not going to go on this big meandering thing. I want to pace this right. 
And so that last page was done and complete. And he would reference back to it and say, like, how does the decision I'm making right now lead to this? Like that specific moment. And I thought that was interesting. I thought that was neat. That's so cool. That's so cool how people can have like such thought out stories like that in their head. Like I will never, I will never be able to understand that. Like I'm not that type of person. So I just think that's, that's very cool. I think that takes a lot of commitment as a writer to say to yourself, I'm going to go on this journey, this really long journey. And you know, over the way things are going to change, you're going to readjust how you approach the story. You're going to readjust how you approach characters, but to have the determination to say, this is exactly where I want this to end and things can move as they want in between, but to have that fixed point creates such an interesting dynamic because you can only stray so far from that point. It's like the strings of like a a guitar, you can pluck them so far, you can play different notes on them, but you can't separate them from like the headboard. And that's just, it's impressive to me. It's really, really impressive because I, I think about it and it stresses me out because I'm like, I don't want to know where I'm going almost. It's like, I want to, I want to be surprised by the story, but it's, I think it takes an extra talent to, to have that level of self-control, I think. I definitely think that, so Anne and friend of the pod, Evan, uh, recently helped encourage me to get back into writing some fiction. And it's been a lot of fun. And uh, writing these stories, I have found that I very much like writing with the end in mind. Like, I like to say, I love a good outline. Like, you two of all people know how much Dallas Taylor <laughs> likes a good outline. Likes to bullet point the shit out of my life. <laughs> and and so I I have a lot of respect for the process of establishing what your beginning middle and end is what your major thematic beats should be and then like finding the magic in like putting all the stuff in that skeleton that you had created like i like making that skeleton (laughs) uh that's just how my brain works um with this being the conclusion of our bone coverage do we want maybe to talk a little bit about what we thought of the series as a whole um, sort of sum up our experience with Bone before we move into listener questions. Um, sure. Yeah, that works for me. I, I don't want to rush us. Do we have anything else to say? It kind of felt like we were winding down. Um, no, I feel like I feel like we're winded down. Yeah, honestly, can I just say <laughs> my jaw dropped at the moment where Thorne just decided gravity doesn't apply to me anymore. <laughs> you know? Do you know what's horrible? I what? know that was like. A beat, you know, but all I can think of is you know that sound bite that's like, <laughs> you know that one that I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. All I can think of was that noise, and she was like, <laughs> oh, it killed me. I was laughing so hard, and I was like, I know this is supposed to be a good beat, but my stupid infected brain, all it can think about is that horrible sound bite. I can't. I literally can't. Okay. You. Well, now I can't think of anything else. <laughs> there you go. That's how we're going to end the episode. Have a busy later, everyone. <laughs> We've been the comics collective. <laughs> roll music. Uh, roll, roll music. 
thinking back, also, I, I checked it out, and there was a reference to Ghost Circles in the third volume in the Colored Editions, oh. which is probably why I didn't remember, because that was about two months ago <laughs> we read through that. <laughs> but it's it's something I want to go through this this whole series again. I need to get myself my hands on that nice collected edition. Do you and, think you're going to? You said at the beginning of this, if you loved it, you were going to get the big boy. Oh, I'm going to check out the big boy at some point. I need to. It's because I want to compare. Also, these, you know, the library copies, definitely, um, definitely for children. There was one that had a bunch of pizza stains in it. Um, at least I hope it's pizza. Um, blood. Blood. <laughs> Just someone bled all over their copy of Bone. You know how kids do. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read through it soon. I think. Uh, yeah, I think I'll probably get the hardcover color version. As much as I told Glenn not to, mm-hmm. I the more I look at the color pages, the more I'm like, I'm glad I read it in black and white. Because even interesting watching a bunch of videos about about it and going through it, like I did today, being in color. I yeah, all the pages kept being in color, and I was like, that is not what color that is in my brain. You know, like when I saw the robes on the stick eaters in the in the main city, and they were like purple and red in the color <gasps> version. I no! was like, absolutely not. They're Those green. are Jedi robes. They're not <laughs> green, you moron. They were tan. <laughs> the absolute buffoon. That was, that was so aggressive. <laughs> The color, the coloring in this, um, once just so I can give the the shout out to who did it, by Steve um, Hammaker. Uh, it's good. The colors are really solid. So if you get to check that version out, you're gonna love it. Tell us what are you doing? <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> just being a fool. Um, I also did not like that the dragon was not green. Uh, Mim, whatever her name is, when she was purple, I was no. like, I was like, hate crime. She is a lime green. She is a scaly girl. Oh, can I? T- I really appreciated they gave so many different designs to the dragons. You saw like s- European dragons in there. You saw um, Asian dragons and just everything in between. I just, I love that nothing looked the same. Also, I like the little the little scene of the world before where it had like the dinosaurs and the people. It's like a little scene out of like a creation bible. It's so cool. Um, I have somehow not said this over the three episodes, even though I thought it from our first episode. I love that the big red dragon is very much the kind of dragon from the never ending story. You know, like big dog dragon. I that really hit for me. The end. End of comment. It's it's fun. I've never seen those movies, but that dragon is instantly recognizable to me. So, fun story about The Nevering Story. The title was so convincing that my whole life, I was like, that movie's like seven hours long. Like, my childhood, I was like, that movie's endless. Truly, The Neverending Story. Wow, appropriately named. It's 90 minutes. <laughs> I don't know what it was about the pacing for my seven-year-old mind, but I was like, this movie, it never ends. No! But because I think the same thing, so maybe it's a childhood thing. Honest, can I be? I'm not. I'm not just saying this. I thought the same thing. I'm like, I don't want to watch this movie because I feel like it's going to depress me because it's just going to go on and on. I remember very vividly. There's a scene where they're like trapped in the swamp, and the dragon's just like being KO'd, and I was like, I don't even think I like this movie anymore. 
<laughs> Tell us why do we have the same memories of all of our childhood? <laughs> I just remember Tweedledee myself and Tweedledumber, Alexa sitting next to me, breathing out of her mouth, like, uh, uh, Hey, my allergies are not little, a joke, damn it. Little asthmatic baby, just like, uh, as we're watching this dragon dog die in the swamp, and I was like, I think I hate this movie. And she's over there like, uh, I think I hate this movie too. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I think my hair's so I think my hair's slicked so tight to the side that I can't think I can't think clearly. I'm pretty sure I developed the need for glasses because of how tight my mom slicked my hair. <laughs> Pulled my eyes out of focus. <laughs> and Alexa's over there with brain damage because she wanted to stand on the exercise ball and eat shit. <laughs> So my story time. So, once, my head to the bottom of my ear is not to be joked about. Once upon a time, Alexis has a giant scar on her head because as a three-year-old, she was like, this Olay! And like went to like stand on top of the exercise ball and it flew the fuck out from under her. She smacked her head so hard on the treadmill. And my dad was in the basement just like, what the hell do I do? I think my baby just died. Because mom was gone. <laughs> Mom was gone for like 45 seconds and Alexis's brain's falling out. My dad's like, what is going on? And he calls oh, his no. dad. Yeah, he calls his dad like, dad, please help me. My baby is dying. Alexis is like. Blah, 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 blah. And, he, and then he, he put me in the bathtub because he didn't know what to do. <laughs> this ought to heal her. Bleed out the tub. <laughs> At least you had an excuse. I saw the same thing happen but to my mom. Oh no! Wait, your mom she stood up on the exercise ball? Yeah, she stood up on the exercise ball. But the good thing is she didn't hurt herself, just my dad. So on the way down, she kicked him oh, no. right between the legs. And it was the greatest moment of my life. Outstanding moment. I'm uh, yeah. like, truly spectacular. 10 out of 10. Would, would watch again. I feel like this movie is really reminiscent of all of the Jim Henson fantasy movies that my stupid eight-year-old brain could not fathom that me and Alexis would watch with our dad because he's like, Jim Henson did Star Wars. This guy's brilliant. And we're like, I think I hate these puppets. I think I hate these puppets, dad. Did you like the Dark Crystal? I I was literally about to reference the Dark Crystal. What's the name of that one vulture guy that's like, He has a funny name. They all have funny names. It's Jim Henson. I just remember he had like a funny human name and he kept going like, and I was like, dad, release me from this prison, please. And Alexis is over there like, can't remember the colors because she smacked her head so hard. Chamberlain? Chamberlain, that's his name. No. Chamberlain. (laughs) Oh boy, I like all those things now, which is funny. So, I <laughs> but eight year old me, eight year old me did not fuck with Jim Henson <laughs> in the same way that twenty five year old me does. Well, that was a fun nine minute detour when we said we were going to end. Um, do we want to give final thoughts real quick? Um, I think this is an amazing story to give to anyone younger in your life who's looking to get into comics anyone from probably like later elementary age up 
is going to love the story so much. And it's just gift them the whole series all at once, because I guarantee they're going to finish the first one in less than an hour and they're going to be begging you for the next one. So please. And if you miss this part of your childhood, like I did, it is very, very, very much something worth going back and investing in because there is a lot there for you as well. Absolutely. I just wanted to say, this is definitely the type of book that I feel like you could gift a younger sibling or a cute younger neighborhood kid that you grew up with. I don't know. Something, some, this is just screams like second grader to me. I don't know what it is, but it just is, this is something that could start kids on a really, really fun journey into comics. So I think it's, it's great for everyone of all ages. Um, just to like, to plug the all ages, I had no relationship with this book as a kid. I read it for the first time as the show has gone on as an adult and I've loved it. I've loved every second. I truly think that this is a fantasy epic on the scale of the Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, uh, any of Neil Gaiman's novels. Like I think this is right up there as greatest fantasy epics of all time. So, and there aren't a lot of those. There's a surprising lack of fantasy comics, like Mm -hmm. comics like sci-fi. They don't like fantasy as much. And so, yeah. Uh, Anne made a face. Do you not agree with me? No, I was thinking because I'm like, oh, no, there has to be. There's Die and there's Once in Future and there's. So Kieran Gillen <laughs> likes, likes fantasy. And... That's all I got. I'm like, Dawn. oh, there's, um, there's Red Sonia if you like um fantasy and boobs. The booba. The booba. I mean, so who Anne's doesn't like, like the booba? <laughs> And say, like, honestly, I love Red Sonia. I honestly, honestly, <laughs> honestly, all these libtards, they just keep robbing us up of the booba. And it's like, you think I'm this woke king, queen? All I want to do is just <laughs> Red Sonia, frankly. You, you think I want strong female protagonists? I love the booba. I love the booba. Gosh. I love the booba. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Gail Simone's Red Sonia is kind of good though. Number one in her heart. And Horny Brenneman. <laughs> and Big Horny Brenneman. Stop. Just because it's true doesn't mean. <laughs> Stop it right now. <laughs> I am not that horny just all the time. Um. Anyway. It is that time of the week again, everyone. It's Glenn. The Glenn question of the week. Woo! All right, Glenn writes in, Dear Holt Impressionists, Nice. If Bone were to come back, do you think it would be as good? And a question for Dallas, Best Spider-Man cartoon. So, if Bone was rebooted. In this, the era of the reboot, in the retread, in the pulling the corpse out like Mr. Krabs looking for a hat, do you think Bone would be successful? Probably. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think a Bone renaissance could be really, really fun. You know you know what I want? I was, I was thinking about this. I wanted to mention this at some point. You know what? You know what Phony Bone would do if he was around in this day and age? I hate to say it, Phony Bone would do NFTs. Ah! 
Oh, absolutely. A thousand percent. NFTs. Phony Bone also would have voted for Donald Trump. And so you got to <laughs> yeah, look yourself in your heart and ask how you feel about that. Because here's okay. Here's how you divide up the three. Phone Bone voted for Biden. Phony Bone voted for Trump. Smiley wrote in Harambe. <laughs> <laughs> Smiley Bone missed the vote. <laughs> and was on a bender in Cambodia at the time. Yes, absolutely. He's, yes. he's like, if Sanders ain't there, I don't care. Exactly. Aggressive socialist. <laughs> Smiley Bone. Um... I think you're going to be disappointed with my answer, Glenn. Uh, I'm going to say Into the Spider-Verse. I know it's just a movie, but like none of the syndicated cartoons of Spider-Man came even close to the majesty of that animated movie to me. So I liked the animated series. I thought it was fun. I've never watched Spectacular Spider-Man, which I've heard is great, but never watched it. And I was too busy watching Avatar The Last Airbender. Like... <sighs> Like the big old honky I am. I started rewatching that yesterday. <laughs> it's so good. It holds up so well as an adult. Oh. And Cora is wonderful. Beautiful. I feel like Bone and Avatarless and Brander probably have a lot in common. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That tracks. Very similar uh. tones and appropriate for about the same age group too. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, and do you want to read off the second question? I would love to, but my notes app didn't update. One second. Uh, it's just in our Can text you... chain. <gasps> yes, text chain. We have a text chain. Um, the final bo- bone question from Joe Loves Comics. Dear Comics Collective, I know you've mentioned before in the previous episodes the difference between the black and white and color versions of bone. What other black and white comics have you read before that you really appreciated and especially thought about where it would be a different experience in color? I apologize if I've given Dallas an opportunity to bring up From Hell again. You All have. the best, Joe Loves Comics. You have, damn it. <laughs> what is Um. So I am a very big fan of From Hell, obviously. I, <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to Mouse, which is in black and white. And I think is incredible. Uh, I can't really imagine Mouse in color. Also, Usagi Ojimbo. I know they're currently recoloring those, but I'm experiencing it in black and white first. And I feel like it would be very strange for it to have a color option. So those are my three. Okay. So um, I have to mention, I think... I thought about the one moment reading the series where I'm like, I really wish I got that in black and white. And it was the moment in the forest that I keep talking about that just lives eternally in my horror-loving head with the lightning strikes and the night sky and all the beasts in the field. I think that was a great moment to have in black and white. I think color actually lessens it just a little bit. And that's why I'm like, the first place my mind went to was horror. I'm like, what black and white horror have I read that's really good? And I thought instantly about like Junji Ito. Because I've seen what color does to Junji Ito's work because I watched parts of the awful, awful animated adaptations of his work from like the Junji Ito collection that came out a while ago. And his work works so well in black and white because there's so many details left to the imagination. There's so much wonderful, exaggerated line work that just makes you feel so uneasy. Adding color to it takes so much away. So much away, especially if it's not done properly. I'm very, very happy to see that the Uzumaki adaptation coming up is being done very much in a, a faithful 
style and unlike anything I've seen before from an anime, which is great and black and white is very, very important to stories like that. I agree. Do you have any black and white, even like cartoons or movies or anything, Alexis, that comes to mind for you? Honestly, no, not really. I think that's why I liked this one so much because it's not really like anything I've ever experienced before. I thought it was really fun. I can dig it. Um, A couple more shout outs for me. I think Blankets is really great. I think it would look weird if it was in color. And I know... I know you're listening to this too, you little punk. Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, uh, who lives by me now, everyone. We get to hang out IRL, and it's so oh, fun. I Doug love you, Doug. So it's fun. It's, it's so wonderful. Fun fact, Alice, you and Doug are the um, the lock screen on my phone right now. I mean, that picture we took in, in Dumbo. That picture Beautiful. ruled. That picture ruled. Um, Doug told me he read a color version of Akira, and I kind of think that's a, a hate crime. Uh <laughs> I hate it because I personally hate it. Um, Akira should be black and white. And there might be a little something in the works with Akira and me and Doug, if I can uh, find the time to read Akira. But that does it for our comments on Bone. We did it. We did it. Another epic saga down. Another one. Um, we're not going to get to the next big old honker until July. Cause we have a couple themed months coming up, but, and do you want to tell the people what you've decided on for your big honker? My big honker. That's going to come out after our two straight months of gays, because <laughs> we have to do the X-Men and pride month. So of course my, my big honker that I finally decided on today, we're going to be doing invincible next. So we'll be going through that bit by bit. Chunk by chunk, if you will. And that's chunk with an O. Big old chunks. <laughs> I, yeah, I've been trying to figure out how to divide that up. I think it's probably f- six episodes. <laughs> <laughs> There's three <Yes>. compendiums. <laughs> yeah, but you want to read a compendium a week? I read two in a week, Dallas. Thank I you read, very much. I read three in two days. I, and I, didn't, I didn't sleep. <laughs> okay, but in my defense, <laughs> this is the most. Cut it out! easily bingeable comic in history this is the most bingeable comic in history but i do think we're gonna have to figure out how to yeah. divide it up we'll, a little we'll bit figure more, it than, out. more than just three because i think we kill alexis we turn on the screen and she'd just be a little mummy she'd look like briar <laughs> she'd back her hood and she'd look like briar and she'd be like i did it i read it <laughs> why do i sound like mort <laughs> that's after <Please>. one compendium <laughs> Because Mort, you you are the Mort of my life. You little, you little wheezy baby. I look into your eyes and I say, you are a smelly sister that ruined so much of my childhood. I will never forgive you for the time you lost the pieces to my bionicle. I had, I had the bionicle dinosaur and right before we moved, you broke it. And I lost the pieces and I have never forgotten. I am 20... I am 25 years old, and I remember what you did to me when I was nine. You are five years old, and you never, ever have been forgiven for what you did that day. I want you to understand me. Look me into the eyes. Every, every, bit, of, every bit of pain that I've caused you in your life has come from that one moment. Every time you felt ostracized or unloved, it was because of what you did to my bionicle. When you were five years old and I was nine years old. 
I'm just now forgiving you for it. I'm not quite there. Sometimes I still think about it. I go, oh, I wonder if I should buy that barnacle as an adult. And I say, no, it'd be too painful. I have to remember him. Remember what he did. He was a barnacle that had a beautiful dinosaur mount. He would sit upon the dinosaur. And yeah, he would ride the dinosaur. Quit. She left. She done. <laughs> he would sit upon that dinosaur. And then his dinosaur was broken by the five-year-old. And then we moved away. And I hate you for it. I will never forgive you. If you're King Julian and Lexi's more, does that mean I'm the advisor? <laughs> Maurice! Maurice! Put up your hands, Maurice! It's more fun if you put them up like this. <laughs> well, everyone, should we do some uh, dulcet tunes? Should we log out of this shit show before King Julian has anything else to say? Yes! yes. Oh my god, Oh please. my gosh, everyone, if you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go to our Twitter accounts at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us on our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off on the show. Like, high top round dollar. Uh, Whoever you are, lit name. Uh, They say, since poor Dallas complained about having no Apple reviews to read, this is for him. You're a good one. This is one of the funniest comics podcasts out there. Anne, Lexi, and Dallas have a natural chemistry, and you can tell that they genuinely love spending time together. Listening to them talk comics, go off on tangents, and have a hilarious time together is such a nice weekly ray of sunshine in my life. Love these goofballs. Oh, thank you so much for that. (laughs) That that means a lot. That was very sweet of you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Gonna have to add Anne Julian to the list as well. We do we do have a lot of fun doing this show. It's my favorite thing every week, so it's definitely my top ten things I do in a week. For <laughs> top <sure>. ten. <laughs> what else are you doing? I do ten things and that's it. <laughs> and this is number ten. <laughs> on, on weeks he does on the weeks he does what's next, this is number eleven. <laughs> I'm doing my taxes this week, and this is still number 10. <laughs> well, fine. Be that way. I hope you get nothing back, you suck. <laughs> I can't believe I used my tax return to come and see you, goddammit. A bit of a spicy meat bar you got there. <laughs> Cut the feed. <laughs> we have one more thing to say. <laughs> That's me. Shit. We have two more things to say. <laughs> you both don't have lines, you fools. And <laughs> Get it out of here. Finally, Jack button. <laughs> finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And the plane is going down. <laughs> feel free to shut up. We will see you all next week for our episode on Superman Up in the Sky. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.